there, I'm Michelle Bunch, and this is Enthusiasm Diaries. Enthusiasm is contagious, and in this podcast, we get to share in the enthusiasm of others and perhaps spark some of our own curiosity along the way. Thanks so much for listening. Well, hi there. I am here with one of my best friends, Dr. Emily Sandsmark. Hi, thank you. So Emily and I go way back. We were um, roommates just after college, which is an interesting time as we were both trying to figure out what the heck was going on in our lives. And and at that time, you were in the process of applying for medical school. So can you tell us about that? Well, um, yeah. So applying to medical school went a little differently than I initially planned on. I had in mind I would take two years off, bartend, travel, live the life a little bit, and then you know, um, get slide right on into medical school, but, um, things don't always work out like that. So what I was doing during the time I lived with Michelle was, um, I was bartending. We did travel a little bit, which was fun, but I was also, um, studying for the MCAT, which I had to take numerous times and which I can talk a little bit about too, but also trying to beef up my resume as it seemed that medical school was ever, increasingly hard to get into. And so I was doing things like working in a research lab, um, trying to volunteer in an emergency room, just to say that I had that clinical experience, which all that really was, was going around to patient rooms asking if they wanted a blanket and or (laughs) water, which most of them were not allowed to have, as I found out later after giving them water and things to eat (laughs) when they were supposed to be NPO. But anyways, it was a clinical experience. Um, you had that dermatology office. Yeah. And so that, so then I did that after I realized I needed to get more serious. So, um, I applied to medical school, did not get in the first time around. And they told me, um, to do a little bit better on the MCAT and then, um, get a little bit more clinical experience. And so I did get a job as a medical assistant and a dermatologist, which was, um, you know, much needed after bartending for two years and living that life of, going into work at 10 p.m., 10 p.m., getting off at 4 a.m., trying to force myself to still get up at a reasonable human hour to go, you know, to another research job or, or study. But um, um, so that was good to have a year of actual clinical medical assistant duties. Um, and then, you know, the MCAP, um, you know, you want to do as, as good as you can the first time that you take it. I did okay the first time. I tried to go ahead and apply to medical school with that score. I didn't get a single interview and was pretty disappointed. I even took a, a prep course for it at the time. And so then when the next year when it came around, I was like, well, I don't think I need the prep course anymore. I have all the materials. And so I spent a lot of time studying by myself. I went into it the second time feeling really good about it. Like, oh man, I just wasn't prepared the first time. What a joke that was. Thought I really hit it out of the park. Got my score back. I did worse than the first time um, by a little bit, which was flabbergasting to me. But um, at the time I called my advisor and said, what do I do with this? And she basically gave me three options. And that was apply to medical school with the two scores that I had, which at the time did not sound very promising considering I hadn't gotten in with a better score. So to take it a second time and do worse and try would not have been great. Um, my second option was defer medical school applications until the following year and take it again in the spring 
or take it this last, they were offering it one more time that year. They basically, and things may have changed since then, but the MCAT is offered between like the summer months essentially and not really in the winter. So it was August, there was one more test date, which was, would have been like two to three weeks after I had taken it and had done worse. So she said, you can defer till next spring or you can take it this one last time, but you have to do better because medical schools will not respect a third blunder. So, oh wow, pressure is on. <laughs> right. So, I took it again. I have never felt so much stress over an exam, but, um, but yeah, luckily I, I did great. And when I got that score back, it was probably the best day of my life, honestly. Like, oh really, gosh, after all that. Yeah. Well, what kept, what kept you going through that? And, and even like, how did you know for so long that? you knew medical school was what you wanted to do. Cause that would take a, a lot of perseverance after all that. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's strange to think about back on now and now that I'm on the other side and what was the motor that kept me going. Um, I think it's, it's several different things and, and it starts off with just me, um, really liking, um, people in general. I really liked the study of humanity and just, I was a peer counselor in high school. I really liked, um, you know, talking with people about their problems and feeling like I may have some type of help or influence on, you know, their, their current everyday struggles. Um, I really liked science and math and chemistry. And, um, so I liked the, you know, the interplay between humanity and science. Um, I think there was a part of it that I wanted to do something very challenging and, you know, something that would not be easy and something that I could really look back on and, and be proud of. Sure. And, and then I think finally, once I get something in my head, it's kind of hard to get out. So once I had any inkling that I wanted to do that and I told people about it, that's the other thing is like, as soon as I start to tell people my plan, I, I kind of take that social accountability seriously. And like so a I kind positive of, peer pressure. Right. So I don't really tell people anything until I'm sure that it's kind of underway. And so when I started to tell everyone I wanted to go to medical school, I felt like, oh, that was it. I was going to medical school. Yeah. Come hell or high water. <laughs> <laughs> so and how that was, was that about a three year period? Like not just with MCAT, but because I mean, that's how long you and I lived together. So that's how my reference point is. Right. But I'm trying to remember. So um, I guess I started to get the idea in high school and I didn't know that until I was looking back at yearbooks and I was quoted saying, oh, I want to be a, I said a pediatrician at one point, a psychiatrist at another point. And so I think it really did start to develop back then. And then when I went to college, um, you know, I enrolled in pre-med classes. I had a pre-med advisor. So it was, it was a long time ago. Um, and then, um, but what you're referring to is the actual time that I, was applying to medical school, not getting into medical school, trying again, but all through undergraduate. If, if people go through it the traditional way, and that is, you know, after undergraduate, um, they have to kind of plan ahead in, in college yeah. to get some of the kind of prerequisites and, and experience in. And, and at that time, did you know what, what specialty you wanted? No, I... I still thought I wanted to actually be a psychiatrist. I, one of my majors in undergrad was psychology. Um, and then biology was the other one, but psychology was really actually what interested me the most. And so I went to medical school thinking I was going to be a psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. So which psychiatry still, 
you know, is woven into my everyday existence with patients and things. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I realized, you know, my interest took me elsewhere, but, um, that's what initially brought me there. Cool. Yeah. Well, so you finally get into, after all the trying, you get into to med school. Yeah. And what was that like? Well, um, med school is kind of divided up into very, into two discrete, um, I don't know, zone, time zones kind of. The first two years are all kind of classes and books and studying. Um, University of Colorado was trying to incorporate some newer kind of progressive tendencies of getting students into the clinical setting before traditionally was done, which is third year. So I did get into the emergency room a little bit with the preceptor that I had, but it's not till third year that you really get into the clinical time where you're, you don't have any really classes anymore. You still have exams, but you are just essentially shadowing and doing little things here and there, but all clinically driven. And then the fourth year is, is really trying to fine tune what you want to go into finishing up any research that you might have been doing. Um, and so med school, um, looking back on it, I might have my rose colored glasses on now, but I mean, it's, it's a no, it's an okay time. I mean, it's a lot of pressure, <laughs> a lot of studying, but, um, for the most, like for the first two years, you have a lot of flexibility, you know, I mean, you can yeah. get out of class and take a nap if you have to go work out before you <laughs> study, but time is more your own and you feel like it's just a really, really, um, rigorous college, but in college is fun. So, and then if you like school, then you, you love can, school. Yeah. So, <laughs> so a rigorous college was okay with me. I made a great group of friends. Um, so it certainly had pressure to it. I will not, you know, um, get too rosy about it, but, um, you know, exam you, you had to perform well and that was always in the back of your head, but, it, but you did have flexibility. Yeah. And for the mo and my excitement about being there carried me a good portion of the way through it. I mean, of course that, you know, in, in the, in the days of studying 12, 14 hour days at midnight on a, on a day before an exam that didn't carry me then, but for the sure. most part, I could recall that I really wanted to be there and that helped. Yeah. And you wonder if maybe in a weird way, like you appreciated it somehow more. I think so. I had friends that, um, actually most of my friends got in on the first try and they seemed, they're passionate about it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, sure, they're, yeah. they're great, but they've, I don't think they had the same amount of like desperation to get in. Yeah. And, and I, I think that comes from a little bit of my personality, but also just the fact that I hadn't, and I hadn't gotten in the first time. And I remember telling people like, you know, in, well, in interviews in med school and even like my pre-med advisor, them asking, well, what happens if you don't get in this time? And me just saying, I'll try again. And them saying, and then what? I'm like, I'll try again. Like I just right. had absolutely no, like no plan, plan B. B. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and you even went so far as to write a book about your experience <laughs> in med school. Can you yeah. say something about that? Which is kind of outrageous. Now that I think back on it, like what gave me the right to write a book about medical school? But, um, but if you look on like how you preface it, like you look there, there's a lot of books about doctors, but you, there's yeah. not, a, you found there was not a lot about med school. And I don't know a lot. I mean, I know what I know from being your friend, right, but like, right. 
No one really knows what that's like. Right. And so, um, yeah, I guess part of this came from, so as I was preparing to get in and, and trying to go on these med school interviews, I read a lot of books about Doc, like you know, and you've liked doctors. reading, like you were <laughs> as a professional into reader, being a professional like, reader as like a second yeah, grader, as a side, right? As a side note, when I was a little kid, I knew little kid um, activities were things like playing house, playing office, but I like to read so much that I would disguise playing how. Oh, I would disguise reading as playing house. I'd play house with my friend. But our jobs were to be professional readers, so we could play house. But then, like, in the morning, well, okay, we got to go to our jobs. What does that mean? Oh, we just read books. So we could read for hours on end, disguising it as playing house, like we were typical, normal little kids being professional readers. So, yes, as a side note. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, I read a lot of... um, I read a lot of books written by doctors about the process and just to kind of... Because I think a lot of the pressure at med school interviews are, do you know what you're getting into? Because that it actually is a very important question. Like this is not a joke. Like if you can picture yourself doing anything else, go do it because it, you will it's not all be consuming. happy. Yeah. yeah. You will not be happy if all of a sudden you're wavering and thinking about a different career option. So um, during that time, I read a lot of books and I did notice that most of them were either written about residency or, um, they might've been written about medical school, but they were written long after medical school, looking back, um, retrospectively. So, um, there was that, I think the, the main, um, kind of like nidus for me writing the book was I tend to be a storyteller and now shooting myself in the foot of just these long rambling <laughs> stories <laughs> I'm telling, but like, I would tell a lot of stories about medical school and in some way or another, a lot of my friends, whether they were even in medical school with me or outside of medical school were like, God, you have to write these stories down. These are ridiculous or heartwarming or sad or compelling or whatever it may be. And I heard that enough times that I thought, I don't know, maybe I should be writing it down. Like, yeah, I'd always thought maybe someday I would like to write a book and I had no idea what that book would be about. I thought, I thought a hit seller was the Sandy and the Bad Days that I had written when I was in third grade. It was a long, long story about somebody who one thing after another happened to her that day. And that was the name of the book. But ever since I wrote Sandy and the Bad Day, um, I thought maybe I'll try my hand at this. Um, So where's Sandy and the Bad Day now? (laughs) Oh, you know, it lives on the Sandsmark household. My mom has bins full of my old crap and... I would love to pull that out and show you. Probably yeah. should. I'd yeah. love to see it. It had atrocities such as she wanted to wear her pink shorts, but they were in the wash. And so she had to wear her blue works. And then she wanted high nut Cheerios for breakfast. But of course, all she got was raisin bran. Oh, I mean, it was a real life it was disaster. horrible. Yeah. yeah. So you can imagine. But um, anyway, so I um, was getting this feedback about just kind of my verbal storytelling. And I had, I did a three month rural rotation, um, in third year where I had three months essentially to myself. Granted, I obviously had to work at the client during the day, but it was a pretty laid back rotation and I had no friends in the area. And so I thought, well, I don't know, let me just start writing. Um, my brother is getting his PhD in philosophy at the university of Virginia. And so he's a voracious reader and writer. And I, um, asked him about it and he's not one to really like 
plump my feathers up. If anything, he's ready to pluck them out one by one and tell me <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fool. But uh, I mean, no, he's very supportive, but he's, my writing has not been something that he's always been super, you know, overly flowery about because he's had to edit every one of my med school essays and whatever. Right. Um, but he was like, yeah, actually, it sounds like a good idea. And I was so blown away by his positive feedback that it's like, okay, well, I'm going to write it and you're going to edit it. And so that's kind of how we, I, I wrote, um, I don't know, a third of, of it probably very, very quickly and sent it to him. And he thought, yeah, this, this, I think there's something here. And so, um, I then kind of finished it over the third and fourth year of medical school, um, and it's kind of, it's, it's like story. It's, it's like chapters or stories sort of of different. Yeah. It's kind of like little to... vignettes about the actual clinical rotation. So it's more or less like, you know, here's my OBGYN rotation. Here's my neurology rotation. Here's my psychiatry rotation. It's, it's kind of how it's broken up. Um, and then it's just about me trying to figure out how to be, a doctor it's calling it's called playing doctor um from the boards to the wards and it's just that's how you that's how we felt as a third year medical student we showed up we were awkward we were out of place we didn't know what we were supposed to do we knew we were learning all these facts but we didn't know how to apply them to the situation we wanted to be as helpful we just craved feeling integrated into the team but yeah. we just weren't <laughs> and it was so awkward most of the time and so the whole book is just about us trying to figure out what's expected of us. Can you share? Cause, and of course I've read the book. I love the book and I recommend anyone read the book, but I will agree. It's like everything from the most hilarious to like, just so sweet and heartwarming and meaningful. Is there a story that you'd share? Um, and I know it's different than what's really written, but like, well, I know I'm just trying to think of, is one of yours okay with one? Well, I keep thinking of that really funny one when you um, kind of were researching what someone's symptoms might be. And, oh, 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 wait. And it and you like brought up to the family like what oh, you're in. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, oh, they're yeah, all yeah, really yeah. good, but that one is just, in my opinion, just so so funny like right right of course after the fact but right so um yeah so this was a story that I was on the um internal medicine service and we were in the hospital um and that particular service is very much um it's very formal very traditional if you can think of house or something like that where there's just a group of a medical team rounding yeah um at any given time um and the job of a medical student is to go see the patients in the morning try to collect as much additional information as you can um and present to the team at the bedside of the patient you know um you know what's called a medical presentation, which just kind of gives the background of the patient and what we're thinking and, and what likely options are. And so um, as medical students, we come out of medical school wanting so badly to be the hero and the diagnostician behind everything that we are just constantly like reading and trying to figure out what, what's wrong with people, especially when there's there might be a question about it. So there was this patient in the hospital that had this constellation of symptoms that were baffling to people, and we had consulted everybody in the hospital, and no one could figure out it was like know, a what true was wrong. Mystery. It was a true mystery. And so we were talking about that one morning, and um, 
one of the chief residents said, you know, we should we should consider a kind of caucus. And um, they they said, well, we just have to think about all infections. Uh, this person's from rural Colorado. You know, there could be parasites. And me not quite catching what she had said, I thought that she had said a kind of caucus, like a type of caucus. And there are bacteria named after their shape. So caucus bacillus. Um, so a kind of caucus to me was like, well, let's consider a type of bacteria, like, which seems there's so many of them. Ex- I well, it seemed extremely vague after literally this person had an insane workup. Of course, we'd considered all like, kinds of infections. Maybe an infection. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> to me, it was like maybe we should consider a type of bacteria, and it was like, well, okay, I guess. Yeah, I guess no one's we thought should. of that. Yeah, I thought that's what we had, <laughs> but. Um, but so she said that, and so I was like, okay, and I, I was like, well, gosh, so she means a circular-shaped bacteria, because that's what a caucus is. And so throughout the morning rounds, as the other medical students are presenting at their patients, I'm like kind of trying to think about what kind of caucus she might have meant by it. But we, And I was like, I didn't have time to look it up. And we get to the patient's room, and I'm presenting in front of the family, in front of the other residents, in front of the attending physician for that day, and I get to that want like my assessment of what we should be thinking about. And I was like, and I think given his symptoms and everything, um, we should be considering, um, oh, well, before that I was thinking, well, gosh, maybe she didn't say a a kind of caucus because that's so vague. Maybe she said gonococcus, which is the bacteria that, um, that causes gonorrhea, which we all yeah. know and love, um, <laughs> everyone's familiar with. And I thought, well, there's probably more than one type of gonorrhea. Um, and You're like, I'll not just take just a deep dive into gonorrhea. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and in my mind, so there's, so um, there's, and what I was really thinking of is there's two types of Neisseria. So there's Neisseria gonorrhea, and then there's Neisseria meningitis, which is what causes meningitis. And so I was thinking, Oh yeah, there are those two types. Sure, but it's actually a different nice series. Like it was totally a different thought. But so I go and I'm like, okay, I bet she said gonococcus. So I'm just gonna say that. And so I said, okay, I think we should be um, considering. Uh, and, gonoc- and again, this is in front of like the patient, his the, family, okay, the his, other medical students, the resident, the attending. Okay. So there's ten people in the room okay. probably. And actually, I thought I did pretty well in the presentation because that's so. Um, it's so much pressure to like, oh my gosh, I can only imagine succinct medical presentation and include all the pertinent positives and all the pertinent negatives and leave out the fluff. Like it's really an art that I still have not totally mastered, but, but, um, so I arrive and, um, you know, given his constellation of symptoms and everything, I think that we should consider a gonococcus infection. I kind of slur past it really quickly and, and just try to get on with the plan. We should order this lab, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And the attending physician says, okay, yeah, good job, Emily. All sounds good. Um, I'm sorry, what type of infection are you worried about? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe like a gonococcus infection. I don't know, because like, you know, he works with a lot of livestock and stuff. And then she had this like really terrible expression on her face. Like she was trying to laugh or cry or something. And she said, I'm sorry, are you saying gonococcus? And I'm like... I, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't, it's, I mean, right, it's maybe, probably pretty maybe. rare. I don't know. Like, I thought I had suggested something so rare because that's normally what I was suggesting. You know, somebody with an earache, I'd be like suggesting that they had some type of like neuroma, like some 
uh, tumor instead of like an ear infection or something. That's that's a typical mistake that med students make is they go for zebras and not just horses mm-hmm. for their diagnosis. So I thought she was getting at the fact that like, okay, bring it back in. We're talking common things being common here. But really, um, I was suggesting that this patient had a gonorrheal infection from his livestock, <laughs> that he was having intimate relations <laughs> with his livestock. And... You know, they teach us like to be candid in our bedside presentations because if there are things that need to be brought up, like cancer or something, we should have a very like, you know, transparent discussion amongst everyone. Sure, of course. But certainly if you're going to suggest that somebody's having intimate relationships with their goats and (laughs) sheep and stuff, that should probably be, you know, proposed outside the room before inside the room. Um, and so finally, then the resident realizes like what's happening. Who's the one who suggested it. Cause I kind of looked at her like, hello, I thought you told me this earlier. Right, you were, yeah. And she's like, no, not gonococcus, a kinococcus. And I'm like, what the F is that? <laughs> and, she, and so it's a parasite that lives on livestock. And so she thought that this, a kinococcus could potentially be something to look into, which is very, very valid, like, and very rare and has not been delved into a, among all the other things that have already, yeah. yeah. And so then uh, the patient and the family is kind of looking around like, what is happening here? <laughs> and so then the attending, who's a sweet little Southern lady, had to explain my mistake. And I mean, everyone was laughing. The, the patient took it very, very well oh, and funny. actually like said, I mean, I love my wife, although I do have some charming goats. <laughs> You took a while, but yeah, that was humiliating. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, it's just, and I think you do such a good job in the book of just describing like the real feelings, like all the things that led up to that moment of (laughs) suggesting someone was having intimate relationships with their goats and that's why they're here in the hospital. Right, right. (laughs) And I cracked the code. Yeah. But yeah, and I think that I think to me that's like one of the funnier ones. But I think again, it's just such a good mix of funny, but also just everything you learned. And so, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, med med school is is kind of a, a trip. And what's funny is to think that though, like I might have more embarrassing stories than the average Joe, or maybe I just talk about them more. But then you think that's just one medical student right, blundering like, through can the you hallways. <laughs> Can you imagine that multiplied by 150 students just at my med school alone? Like, I mean, but that also is a testament to just how important hands-on, like, like there's like, you can read about all this stuff, but until you're like, really, (laughs) how would you (laughs) know how to like (laughs) implement it? You know? So yeah, that was implemented. (laughs) Sure. sure. I was like, well, this is the day they talk about tough conversations with patients. (laughs) So here we go. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) Well, so then, so when did you kind of figure out like where you wanted to be more focused in a specialty? Yeah, I think it was that day I realized I love sexual transmitted infections. (laughs) That's me. That's what I want to do all day. Yeah. Um, No, I think so. It was actually before that, although that is just kind of a funny coincidence that my mind was going immediately to you know, STIs, but, um, because, uh, spoiler alert, I'm an OBGYN. However, it was, so I thought, like I said, I either wanted to be a psychiatrist or then I started to think about wanting to do emergency medicine. Um, 
anesthesia crossed my mind, family medicine crossed my mind. Um, I thought for one, I thought for sure I did not want to be an OBGYN. In fact, I did my OBGYN rotation first because I was like, let's get that well out of the way. Why did you think you didn't want to? I thought it seemed messy and barbaric and I thought the I thought the women seemed more intense, honestly, at the time than I thought that I was, even though now in hindsight I'm like, oh, I fit in like I fit perfectly. Fit like yeah. <laughs> um I just thought it seemed kind of intense and scary to me, honestly. Um, except that's actually kind of what and it then ended up drawing me towards it because I'm like, well, if I like emergency medicine for kind of this like upbeat energy yeah. to get your toes any second. OB is that and then some to be honest but sure um I so I did that rotation first and I will tell you like I have never been I would go home and I would like read the textbook like I don't want to say cover to cover because I doubt I actually read it cover to cover but I I did see it sitting in the back of your car (laughs) as I walked up to your house that's but actually that's the book that I got in residency and all my residency friends would laugh at that because they would recognize my car around town based on the obstetrics yeah exactly literally fading in the window (laughs) thing used to be pitch black and now it's like this dusty navy blue yeah (laughs) so that's been my um back windshield for about four four years now Um, that's not the textbook I necessarily was talking about, but I was talking about a textbook that was given to us, you know, more of a medical student level textbook. And I really, I was so interested in it. I thought it was, um, the variety of like conditions that you treat, you know, you have all of the obstetric stuff, which is all the pregnancy stuff, um, mixed with all of the gynecology, which is all of, you know, clinical stuff that people think about like pap smears and stuff. But of course that's not the exciting part. The real exciting part is all the the GYM surgery you get to do. Um, I never felt more excited than I did on labor and delivery. I was scared out of my wits. Like I always would half wish I would miss a delivery just because I did not know what to do in there. But again, I just was so excited about it. I was so upbeat and happy. And, and it's like, um, sir, what things besides that are surgery for like good reason? Right. No, I mean, no, there's no, I mean, talking you. about, of course, baby, not the, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah for like a cesarean section. Yeah. No, there is no other field of medicine I can think of that has that well, I mean, to be fair to things like, you know, oncology, you know, if you cure somebody's right. cancer or something, certainly that's... But you don't want it to but, begin with. Right, exactly. So there's, But yeah, I hear you, for sure. Yeah, there's just nothing, um, I mean, selfishly and easily, it's like an, an easy job to have, the, the obstetric part of things, because for the most part, it's young, healthy women having babies that people have been having for years and years, and... Yeah. and yeah, things can definitely go wrong, and that's our role to step in. But, you know, 90% of the time, things are going to go pretty straightforward and easy, and you get yeah. to kind of step in and just be the hero and be a part of somebody's happy best day. day of their life. Yeah. And so there's, like, it doesn't get better than that. Um, plus, I just think all the changes in pregnancy, and it's just so interesting that our bodies do that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that could be like a whole conversation. I mean, it's right, right. insane. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about physiology of uh, pregnancy. <laughs> that's, that's, Was there a moment for you yeah. that you were like, this is what I want to do? Like, yeah, I guess. So I thought it was odd that I was reading the textbook with such fervor. So I didn't take note of that at the time, but I was like, no, I'm just excited to be out of the classroom and stuff. Like that was my first rotation of fear, third yeah. year. And I was like, it's just so nice to be I was, I was like, I'll probably be up. This will probably fade or, or I'll do this, you know, with other rotations. 
And I did like other rotations, but everything just kept coming back and being compared to how I felt amongst not only the other providers, like the residents and the, and the other OBGYNs, I felt like I really fit in well with them. Um, but nothing felt the same. I didn't feel as comfortable with the patients as I did on my OBGYN rotation. I felt like I, I could really just talk to people comfortably about things that would normally be pretty private and personal. Um, I like that challenge of being able to talk to people about those things. Um, I, I liked not having the creepy winks from old men at the VA. <laughs> um, I liked the idea that OBGYNs are needed in almost every geographical setting, whether it's rural or urban or international. Sure, yeah. I had a lot of, um, you know, um, opportunity to kind of make it what I wanted. Um, I like, I like being both a primary care physician along with a specialist. You know, a lot of women, they only have an OBGYN, so they might right. come to us about, you know, diet things and nutrition. They might come to us about their blood pressure medications, their um, mood. And depending on our level of comfort, we can either choose to manage those things or not or refer on. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I also like the opportunity to be able to say, you know, I don't feel comfortable with managing your blood pressure medications. I'm going to have you see a different physician for that. Or I can say, and it's within my scope, yeah, I'll help you with your blood pressure medications. I'm your only physician right now and I'll make it work for you because I'm your physician. So I like having that flexibility. flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was it like the the first baby you delivered? Like, I mean, I can only imagine. (laughs) But like to know you were involved with that, like. Um, Yeah, it was, I, I do, I remember the lady, she was kind of this crazy funny lady and it was, um, I think her third baby. And so, the, and, and women who've had multiple babies, those deliveries are always easier than others. And, um, the resident was helping me deliver this particular baby. You know, what we do as medical students, is we basically just kind of put our hands on, on the baby and the resident is really doing the majority of the work. But, um, yeah. And this baby came out and I panicked and didn't know I was just clutching it with my dear life, hoping I wouldn't drop it. And, um, you know, we usually put the baby up on the mother's abdomen because I always kind of want skin to skin at first. And and um, and then I, so the resident said she needed to repair a little laceration. And so she was starting to repair the laceration and trying to explain to me the suture and stuff that she was using and the degree of laceration. And I was just hearing nothing. I was like, what was that all about? Like, yeah. that was amazing. I felt like I was like half crying. She's trying to teach me. My mask is fogging up because I'm crying and sweating and all these things at the same time. Yeah. And I'm trying to keep my professional cool. But, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and that was easy because it was easy. And it was, it was somebody, healthy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think at one point the resident looked up and kind of noticed my tear stained mask and, or whatever, just kind of saw that I was crying and just kind of smiled and thought, I mean, I think a lot of medical students have that reaction, honestly, because it is a very, very cool thing that I, and I, I'd be lying if I said, Oh, that moment I absolutely knew. I just knew like, wow, that was really, really interesting and scary and adrenaline pumping. And I can't believe what I was really thinking is I can't believe that resident just did that. And now she's doing like, I just was yeah. in awe of the entire scenario. I can't believe she was so calm. Cause I'm like, I want to jump out the window right now because <laughs> I'm so, so, like, you know, my nerves are shot. But, um, yeah, and over and over again, I saw the residents just acting so composed in these situations that I felt like, why do you know what to do? And, of course, you know, now after going through residency and all this stuff, I 
I understand where they're coming from, but it was. And now you're that person that knows what to do. How cool and weird. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's just, yeah, they just would take control of these scary situations in a way that I was like, that is really something. Yeah. Wow. And now, I mean, so, so that all went on and then you eventually through all the, that moment and several others decided that that would be your specialty. Yeah. So yeah. I, I went back and forth for the rest of third year about, do I like emergency medicine? Do I like OBGYN medicine? Um, and emergency was fun and exciting and I loved my preceptor, but the one thing I realized and I thought that this didn't matter to me because people would ask me about this and I would brush it off and say, oh, I don't, I don't care about continuity of care. Like I, they'd said, well, you know, you, you don't get to know your patients. And I thought, Oh, I don't, that doesn't matter. I just want to like, it's okay if I just know them for a little bit, as long as, you know, I can have some, yeah, some help or intervention or whatever. But then I realized, you know, I do actually really like the continuity of care. Like prenatal visits became really exciting to be able to know that like as a medical student, prenatal visits are actually quite easy and something that you feel like you can handle. And so I think that that was part of it. Like, I would see comfort level. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I was like, Oh, I get to know this patient and like help them in a way that I feel like I fit in here, which any medical student would feel like that. So that's not a reason to go into it, but I, it just showed me that I really liked continuity and I, um, well, and you said the relationships, like you were thinking about psychiatry and Mm -hmm. in a weird way, I can kind of see how certainly psychiatry has that ongoing relationship. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I thought like, you know, I, you know, the patients that you get to know in the emergency room, unfortunately, are not the ones you necessarily want to get to know because they are complicated socially, you know, in ways that you just feel like you can't help. And that's frustrating to both people, the patients who are homeless and struggling with substance abuse and, and you as the emergency room provider who really can't do anything. And so um, anytime you're in a situation where you feel like you cannot help somebody is not really a real meaningful relationship as much as you would like it to be different. But, um, and so I just, I just felt like, um, and then, and then, you know, emergency room patients can be very disruptive and violent and, um, and I, I felt like, and so can OB patients, honestly, I've dealt with plenty of disruptive, challenging patients coming into labor and delivery at the last minute, not knowing they're pregnant you know, very, very out of control and what in a variety of different ways. Um, but for the most part, you do get to know your patients. Even if they do show up last minute like that, um, well, I guess assuming they've had prenatal care, I like, I appreciate people when I understand where they're coming from and why they behave the way that they do. And so even if they are behaving very difficult, if I know their situation and their social yeah. background, and I'm so much more apt to you know, be patient with them, which for better or worse, I mean, I'd like to think I'd be patient with everyone, but the reality is, is like when you learn somebody's, you know, it, social nuances and things, you're just likely able to relate to them more. Oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you, so you did your residency, you, here you are, you're, you're actually home from residency here, but like you had, three years four years years, in Tucson Mm -hmm. what like if you had to summarize what that was like I mean besides just busy I mean busy like what was that like well so um I made outstanding friends I will say you know 
your relationships with your co-residents are almost, and I don't want to ever claim to know what I feel like, what it feels like to go to war, but I can only imagine it feels a little bit like your comrades, if somebody were to be deployed, how we feel in residency. We work together from sunup to sundown, 80 hours a week often. Um, we go through an extremely steep learning curve altogether. And so that's something that's extremely um, beneficial and helpful to have those relationships. I will say if I had to sum it up um, in just a sentence, and I, I actually can take credit for this, an attendant said this to me a couple months before I graduated. I thought it was the truest thing that anyone has ever said about residency and everything goes back to it is just residency is having all of the responsibility and none of the power. Oh, and, yeah. and so that sums it up. You feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, but there, but you don't have the decision-making capacity to do it because I mean, on a very new, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, of course, you make decisions. And, and as you go through residency, you're, um, responsibility is graduated and you get more and more ability to make those decisions. But then on the day, the attending physician is the one who gets to say, have the last word and other attending physicians might taking over that patient might feel differently. They might disagree with the other plan. And so you feel like you were really at the root of the care for that patient, but you had no say in how it was done. And That's so you're hard. constantly yeah. defending yourself, other residents, other attendings plans. Um, you are constantly, you have the responsibility to making sure that a discharge planning goes okay, but yet you're still just a resident. So when you call people and places and ask them for things, you don't have the clout that you wish you'd want. Sure. That you wish you would have. Um, and so, I don't know, that, that phrase sums it up, which is a kind of a negative outlook on residency, I'd say. I think in general, I had a great time in Tucson. I liked my attendings. I liked my co-residents, but it's good to be out because it felt like you were just a rodent on a wheel every day, just needing, you had to keep moving, but you just had no way of actually yeah. ever getting a, a, above it or past yeah. it or I don't know. But, yeah. Which, yeah. Well, and I hear that. And then I also think like today you got some super exciting news. We were just oh, cheering our glasses. If, You'll yeah. share. Well, so we, me and Michelle had lunch today, and then we just sat down to start recording, and we were finally getting organized because between a variety of different stories and things and situations, we were getting delayed. And then right before she, like, hits record, I get this um, message from one of my co-residents who I just graduated with that said, hey, guys, board's results are up, which is our written boards that we took two weeks after we graduated from residency. So that's already been almost, that's been three months. And we knew they were coming out in mid-September. And on Monday, which was five days ago, I thought to myself, oh, I wonder our boards are going to be out this week. Like, Oh, you were wondering. Yeah, because I knew it was mid-September. And sure. Friday is kind of a day that things like that seem to come out. I don't know. But, but I had forgotten about it. And so she texted that. And I thought, there's no way I can go into this recording without... No way. Yeah. And I also just warned Michelle's like, if I didn't pass the boards, we might need to reschedule this, even though she had just driven an hour and a half. No, but um, so I logged in and I passed. Thank God. Oh my God. But I just think about like, especially hearing the, like what the, what it's been, what this journey has been like to then sit here, you're, 
you have a little bit of time off, but you start a full-time position as yeah. an OBGYN. Like what is, I mean, and I think about how that relates even just as I've known you, like my whole time I've known you, it's been like your work in getting to be a doctor and like, it's, it's amazing. And I'm just like, yeah, you're here. Well, you are. It's, well, thank you. I mean, I, I think honestly having this opportunity to kind of reflect and talk about it again is actually pretty, um, meaningful because I've had this time off where I've just kind of been in vacation mode, which has been nothing less than exceptional, but I have had this anxiety and it's almost like, um, I don't know, maybe taking it for granted a little bit, like, Oh, I can't believe I only have three weeks left of vacation, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, which is strange, you know, just kind of like dreading the day of starting. But now as I'm sitting here talking about it, I'm like, no, you get to start doing what you actually love to do. You were hired by you worked for, a for reputable like... business, <laughs> a reputable <laughs> practice. Like, um, yeah, so it's great. October 7th. You start. Yeah. How crazy. What are some of your hopes for, what do you anticipate or what do you hope for? Well, um, I, it's, you know, I just, um, Gosh, now it's like, how, how do I even formulate the words with my goals and hopes are? I just, um, you know, I, I am excited to actually have my very own patience, um, you know, to form the relationships with them that I think are so important to the specialty. I think that that trust that you get to build with somebody is just is such a privilege that um, I don't ever want to take for granted. But um, I'm just really excited to be able to. Like, as I was just saying about, you know, us having no power ultimately in residency, that all of a sudden changes and I have all the power to make those relationships what I want to make them. And that's all I really have control over. Of course, I have control over the knowledge that I have and continuing education and stuff on which that's a minor goal. But I, I mean, well, a major goal, but just, you know, yeah. another goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the thing and that educate all that education, all that surgical training, all that, you know, um, all that background is in place. And all that I have to do now is build on these new patients and these relationships. And that's really what I have control over. And I just really hope that, um, patients get to love me as much as I, in theory, love them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just wish you could be my next OBGYN. It just is, feel like a long way away, <laughs> 90 minutes if I really needed to. But Well, I no, have had I friends mean, proposition me for exams <laughs> and, and <laughs> whether they really want that or yeah. not. But yeah, I don't know. I'd love to be my friend's OBGYN too, but I don't know if you really want that. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just, I'm really excited to be able to have that cohort of people that I follow and hope to have at least some impact and, and empower them to take part in their own health and yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I can't wait to hear more once you start and, and it's just so fun for me to get to talk to you about this, like as your friend and getting to see oh, you do you. all this. So thank and thanks you. for doing this. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave a review and share with a friend. And if you're enthusiastic about something and want to share it, please contact me at michelle at enthusiasmdiaries.com.